You're listening to Trek FM. Hi, and welcome to the fourth supplementary episode of Women at Warp. I'm Sue, and I'm here today to share just a little bit more from DragonCon. Really quick, as usual, I'd like to remind you about the Women at Warp Patreon. The Patreon is what allows us to do things like purchase portable recording equipment and have business cards printed and attend conventions to help spread the word about the show. And as part of our thanks to our patrons, we like to give you exclusive content. Most recently, I uploaded a recording of Melinda Snodgrass's reading from DragonCon. So if you'd like to help us out and get access to the special patron feed, head on over to patreon.com slash womenatwarp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash womenatwarp. So this is the third and final episode from DragonCon. We've already released the recordings of a Q&A with the Snod, some double clicks audio, and our Women at Warp panel on the Trek track with myself, Andy, Moxie Magnus, Hannah Hoyt, also known as Kenora the Klingon, and Carol Underwood from the Trek track volunteer staff. This is another panel. Every year, the American Sci-Fi Classics track hosts a panel titled Truly Outrageous, Female Heroes of Classic Science Fiction. I have been on this panel before with some of the other panelists as well, and it is always a lot of fun. But this is not a Star Trek panel, so why am I sharing it? Well, one of this year's panelists was Terry Farrell. That's right, I got to sit on a panel with Jedzia Dax, and she gave me a high five and a hug, and it was pretty epic. So... The other panelists and I do talk about Star Trek maybe a little bit more than we usually would any other year, particularly about Jadzia Dax, of course. But we also get to hear about some of Terry's favorite sci-fi ladies and discuss some of the bigger issues and questions around the representation of women in media and science fiction. So anyway, we all introduce ourselves on the panel, so I will stop talking now and I guess start talking then or something i have been asked to moderate this even though i didn't want to it's under duress <laughs> there was arm twisting involved it was brutal yes there was arm twisting actual arm twisting Little, she hurt literal. me <laughs> <laughs> well you picked on brit track <laughs> so going down the panel to introduce we will start with gina of course you will yes <laughs> Uh, my name's Gina Phillips. I, uh, I write sometimes for Revolution SF and NeedlessThingsSite.com. Uh, kind of on a hiatus right now. I'm focusing on uh, activism uh, on social media. And that's what I own. Oh, Terry Farrell is my new best friend. <laughs> Hi, I'm Terry Farrell, and I'm an at-home mom. And most of you probably know me from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I just joined the cast of Star Trek Renegades. Do shooting in February. I don't know what my character is yet. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I did ask Michael Westmer to do my makeup, so let's hope that means he'll be bringing back some favorite items to put on me. Um, and I'm happy to be here. Oh, wow. So it's like, her, how can I follow that? I don't know. Um, my name, I just. I, I'm I'm Tegan. Uh, I have a website, justtegan.com. I am responsible for the PowerPoint this morning for the mullet panel. Um, I am also the co-host. It's a long story. Um, I'm also the I'm also a co-host for the uh, Revolution SF podcast, Rev News. Um, I also appear frequently on their Revcast, and um, I I am so happy to be. This is my I think it was like third time, second or third time on this panel. 
I just keep coming back. So yeah. You must keep getting five stars. I don't, I don't even know, man. Uh, my name is Sue. I am a podcaster and blogger for the Anomaly Podcast, which is all women covering general geek topics. I am also one of the hosts of the Parsec Finalist Women at Warp podcast. That is a uh, feminist Star Trek podcast. So this is really exciting. <laughs> for, for some reason, I can't imagine. That's awesome. Uh, I'm Debbie Begay. I'm New York Times bestselling author. I'm best known for the Wicked series, not the Broadway one, the other one. And uh, <laughs> I do dark, mis uh, I do mysteries, thrillers, dark fantasy, and uh, sci-fi action adventure. Ooh. Well, that's two wicked references, two yeah. panels in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Caperton Gillette. I'm an advertising copywriter and blogger and editor at Feminist. And my first uh, hetero girl crush was Tasha Yar from Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> nice. <Awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> So we've done this a few times now. Um, I'm going to throw to the panel with the first question, which you've probably all heard before. Maybe your answers have changed in the years, but was your favorite favorite heroine of classic sci-fi? Uh, we'll start with Tegan because she just looked at me. <laughs> Damn it! Um, no, I. Uh, it's really hard to pick a favorite because there's so many great choices. <laughs> I have to acknowledge how much I love Judzia Dax. She was my favorite character on DS9. Uh, she may be sitting next to me right now. So that's, I actually had this. I actually was, was when I heard that she was going to be on the panel with me. I was like, what? And then I was like, I have this bookmark that I loved, like when you know that that had you know it was a Judzia Dax bookmark, and I had it, and it would not all of my books and stuff. I have no idea where it is so I was like I can't bring it to have her sign it and I feel so sad um, but yeah so just and once once Jadzia was no longer on the show I lost interest in the show <laughs> well, I mean, as we were so so that happened <laughs> uh, Aside from a love of Judzia Dax, I'm actually going to give a shout out. I was I was thinking about this panel last night after after being up way too late, and um, I was thinking about Masters of the Universe and Tila. And who here has actually seen Masters of the Universe with Dolph Lundgren? Anybody? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yes. Okay. Years ago, like I I have like a, a really bizarre love for that movie. It's so great and cheesy and terrible and has Frank Langella Skeletor so just so if you haven't seen it you really should check it out but Tila is is this is this um she's not even like a love and she just kind of happens to be there and happens to be female and has a great discussion about eating about people's eating habits like oh my god they eat animals here how barbaric and I'm like you never think when you're hungry you know it's it was just like they don't they don't really damsel her or anything I was like that that doesn't happen in the 80s so I had to give a shout out to Tila. So that that happened. So who's who's next? One hundred percent truth. Um, I was all about Judzia Dax. Like, no, seriously, badass lady scientist who took nobody's crap. Sign me up. But I will also have to admit that for me, Dr. Beverly Crusher came first. And and I love her, and I love Gates McFadden to the ends of this earth. <laughs> 
Thank you. Thank you. I also love Jadzia Dax because <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say that I swear, but <laughs> I, I, I liked how she she was at home in whatever world she was in. You know, <laughs> and uh, I loved that about her. And um, I was thinking about who else I love. You know, I mean, obviously there's like Ripley and Sarah Connor and stuff. But I was thinking of Dr. Lindsay Brigman from The Abyss, Ooh. because there's yeah. that great moment where you see the helicopter land, and there's all these soldiers, and you see all these boots jumping off, and then you see these high heels stepping very just casually off. <laughs> You're like, ooh, she's a woman to be reckoned with. You know, I always, I always thought she had a great role in that, and it was a really strong uh, female role in a more uh, contemporary setting that you didn't always see. And I thought she did a great job there. I find it interesting that all three movies you, and characters you mentioned are Jim Cameron. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> I thought Dax was overrated. Oh. And the knives come out. Totally tooling. Um, <laughs> cross my heart, don't hit me. Um, you know, I actually hadn't thought about it because I've never been on this panel before, but I, even though she was, I, I don't know, I guess my first, I'm going to stick with my best. There's been a lot since then, but Tasha Yar was, mm. I mean, I was, what, seven, eight years old, and this was my first exposure to a woman in a position of authority, and she wasn't even like a, you know, non-tough person. She was a security officer and it was a big deal and I got my hair cut like her and it didn't work out. But, <laughs> but she, she was. She was inspirational to me and so she still holds a place in my heart. It does influence your hair choices though. I've been dyeing my hair red since the seventh grade. <laughs> so this is an impossible amount of pressure on me now because if I don't mention Jed Zia <laughs> I did love Jadzia, by the way. <laughs> we actually only watched the first two seasons of uh, Deep Space Nine. She was, she was part of my favorite part of the show. Um, I think probably for me, and I'm a little older than, than a lot of the other women on the panel, is that uh, I think Wonder Woman couldn't tell. Um, yeah. But uh, I, uh, I love the fact that she comes from a culture that can make war but chooses peace. And that's the, the, um, the ethic she brings with her to, uh, to the rest of the world. And I always thought that, in stories where that's emphasized about her, I thought that was a really important. Uh, it wasn't just that, you know, that, that, that she was skilled at being a superhero. She was, she was different from most of the male superheroes who usually would try to beat problems into submission. And that's not really her style. I mean, that's one of the things I loved about the, uh, the, the, the 70s TV show, as cheesy as it could be sometimes, is that they very much uh, brought that part of her, which I, I appreciated. Well, you took the words <laughs> right out of my mouth. <laughs> Wonder Woman. And there was a time when I was doing um, Wait, Star Trek. <laughs> I already got to embody Dax. But we're talking, I'm also, well, we're the same age. So I was, when I was a kid, it was Wonder Woman. And, um, well, she just looked amazing anyway. But when I was on uh, Deep Space and it was ending, a lot of fans wanted me to play Wonder Woman. 
And I thought, that would have been so awesome. <laughs> and uh, childhood hero, love the gold lasso. I mean, Linda Carter looked amazing. And uh, she never sweated. <laughs> and uh, I wish my boobs were that big. <laughs> sort of in the sexist era of that time, it still had like this amazing appeal of, she just didn't come off, you know, trashy yet she just didn't really have a whole lot on but um yeah i like the her heroic um peaceful nature of wonder woman what do you look for for them to be doing it right for a female hero what separates just pandering to the fanboys versus an actual decent character and i'll start with you <laughs> <laughs> I think it sound, seems sort of obvious, character development. I mean, you when there is an actual backstory and an arc and not just, this is the person who has her boobs out and she's kicking ass. It's, or, there's the baby. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> and her boobs um, out. And she's kicking ass. <laughs> <laughs> so frequently when we talk about a like a strong female character, what we're talking about is someone who doesn't have a belief structure or anything of any kind. It doesn't have a backstory outside of, oh, something horrible has happened to me or I don't have a mom. And it's basically strong female as in physical strength. And I think that if you're going to do it right, then there needs to be personality to back it up and it needs to be physically strong plus and I don't really even need it to be physically strong plus something good I mean it can be physically strong plus full-on evil but but it has to be it has to have some depth there to go along with other things that also happen that's a good answer um, for me I, I was thinking about when you were talking about Wonder Woman and how she was wearing very little but Linda Carter gave that dignity no matter what she was wearing. She was just as dignified wearing the, the Wonder Woman costume as she was wearing the, you know, the suit. And I, I don't know how much of that was just the actress versus the, 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 the way that the other characters in the show would also treat the character. So, and I, I think about, you know, there's a lot of, you know, kick tail female heroines who are scantily clad, who aren't, it's either, I don't know if it's, it's the writing is bad or they're not bringing their own dignity to the character or the other characters around them aren't respecting them like they should. But it's interesting because for me, I like a strong female heroine who is comfortable with her own um, sensuality without having to just embody that all the time. And it's funny, I mean, it's not a sci-fi example, but um, the other one that keeps coming to my mind when I was thinking about Linda Carter is uh, for it was it was Kelly in the Charlie's Angels who did the same thing. She was the she was the elegant one, and I mean they would occasionally put her in the bathing suit and everything, but it was like it was never it never felt like it was gratuitous or they were just trying to show skin. She always she always brought class to it, which I liked, and I think that that's that's sometimes what people miss out on is you know it's like yeah you can put them in the skimpy outfit and that's fine. You can have them embrace their sensuality and that's fine, but you have to have a sense of dignity and comfort in their own skin. And I think that's partially the writing, partially the acting, and partially the way the other characters are responding. I think the, the definition of strong is 
where we, we, there are a lot of trappings, right? There's physical strength, but there's so much more than just physical strength. And the, the character that just popped into my head is Tara on Buffy. Tara is such a strong character, but she's, she's so gentle. And it's just a different kind of character. And I think far too often when we hear strong female character, it means one thing. So doing it right, I mean, basis level is passing the Bechdel test, right? <laughs> Two women names who are named who talk to each other about something other than a man. You would be surprised how much of our media fails this basic test. But above that, it is about showing the diversity of women. Not all women are moms. Not all women want to be moms. Not all women are, are physically strong. Not all women are physically weak. We're all different. We're people. There is not just one woman. And far too often in the media, there is just one woman. And that's what needs to stop. Again, um, what, you know, being a woman should be sort of like just a, a side fact about their, them as a character. They need to be a person first. They need to have their own personal arc. They need to have their own backstory. They need to have, you know, the, the own way they, they sound. The only, you know, just, they just need to be fully developed. And I don't think that that is asking a whole lot, but you'd be surprised. Um, so again, being, you know, to do it right, you need to give, you know, just make sure that they are people, because you have such a, a wealth of, of male characters and a wealth of, of ways of displaying masculinity, um, but you don't really get that as much with female characters, um, because they are women first, um, and I think that that should, uh, should not always be the case. Um, so yeah, definitely give them, give them their own, own personness before you even think, you know, that that's a female. As someone who was a female, strong female character. I was. I'm no longer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. no, I'm a weak character. No. What did you bring to, as, as an actress, bring to the role to, for Jadzia? Or in general? In general. Well, I, I really liked speaking to the dignity that you were talking about. And some of it, I do think, comes from the actress and how she carries herself. Mm -hmm. It's also a lot to do with the writing. And I, I feel especially that when Ira Bear started writing for me in particular as a character, he started to make my character much more interesting and gave me um, things to do. He called it that he was going to make me more roguish. <laughs> so it, it was really that I, I just got to, there were no, oh, you're a girl, so you can't do that. It's like, well, you know what? You used to hang out with the Kardashian, or the Klingons, so... Let's see what that would look like. Why don't you try that on for a while? And um, he said a lot of it had to do with the fact that as he got to know me, he saw that I was a very physical person and not so quiet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he added that to it. So I, I feel that um, I think I was particularly fortunate to have a wonderful writing staff that paid attention to who I was and helped add some of me into Dax and um, at the same time allowed me to still be feminine and uh, myself in that so that there was a balance between me um, uh, just being my strong side of myself and my more uh, vulnerable side of myself. All of that. <laughs> Uh, following what Terry said, I think, uh, I think the biggest watchword for getting it right with female characters is agency, over and over again. 
you've got to give women in, in media their own motivations, their own backstory. Uh, it has to make sense for the, as a character and not simply as someone who was slotted into a story to fill the female role. I think a great example that happened recently was on Agent Carter. When they contrasted you know, Peggy's actual exploits versus the radio, from the Captain America radio show that was being broadcast at the time, and it shows the real contrast of how popular media saw Peggy versus how, how she actually was. And I thought that was a really good uh, example to call, to call up uh, as far as how media often portrays women as being a, uh, if, if not a prize, which is some, which sometimes still happens, as being, a, well, frankly, being plot meat. It's like that third X-Men movie. Uh, the women in that movie are plot meat. They, they, they serve no other purpose except to drive the, uh, the story forward. They don't, they don't, they, there's nothing about them that's particularly interesting, even though those are very interesting characters, and there's no discernible motivations to what they do. They're only there to make sure the, the plot keeps moving forward. And, you know, Brent Ratner, make of that what you will, but uh, unfortunately, it, it's not an isolated case. It happens all the time in media, and uh, I think uh, that's one of the things I loved about Agent Carter was that it, uh, it, it sort of skewered that trope at the same time as showing a female character who had very specific ideas about who she was and about what she needed to do, and, and I wish more uh, women characters had that. Touching off on the whole strong female character, there's kind of been a back and forth on that terminology lately. Um, Sue, I will toss to you oh, on boy. that one. <laughs> to cover why is there a debate and what's your opinion on it? Why is there a debate? Because yeah, what is the debate? Because the, there is, is if, it, if people are not aware there's, that there's a debate. So there's this kind of like internet backlash about why I hate this term, strong female character, and it is because of that, that definition of strength of being physical strength. And it's, you know, people have replaced it with other adjectives like well-rounded or well-thought-out or, you know, having a background. And that's, that's really what it is. I think I, I pretty much spoke to, to that in my answer to the last question, is that uh, strength is different for everybody. There's internal strength, there's physical strength, there's mental strength. And, you know, everybody's strong in some ways and everybody has some weaknesses. And, and flawed characters are real characters, and that's what we need to see. We don't need to see you know, trophy wives or girlfriends, or we've had enough of that. Or an angry guy with boobs, as they're sometimes written. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and, you know, there's, that's uh, well, just some, a pretty picture. <laughs> <laughs> some people in these articles are saying things along the lines, it's really tricky, right? They're saying things along the lines of, well, just write the, the character and then just cast a woman. And, you know, the, uh, the obvious example is Ripley. Like, she comes up all the time. But in, in some ways, that can work when you're doing an action film. But the femininity, your, your womanhood, <laughs> if you want to use that term, is still a part of you. And, and men and women are different, but that doesn't mean that either is lesser. That's the thing, right? Does that make sense? Goodness. Uh, no, actually, I was getting kind of distracted because we had a hand raised. So oh. I, I got, I got I'm distracted. sorry, we have hand raised. Mike, go with the mic. <laughs> <laughs> to the mic. Bye. Yeah, there's well, okay. With the with uh, with with Deep Space Nine being very important to this panel, um, <laughs> I was thinking about some opinions about two characters from sci-fi that 
or so it's at certain similarities. One is from one of the rival shows, Ivanova Babylon Five, who is I think she's a great example because she isn't just she is physically she is strong and she knows martial arts, but she's also a very complex character with her back with her mother that she had to basically the fights of her of her pastor's father to to join the academy and and basically join the Earth Navy. Another and the fact that her complexity plus I love her sense of humor. Another one, Honor Harrington, who is from around. The, Basically, sort of like basically the Kuroshiro Hornbore put into space and and made a much more complex character. And I don't know what your take on on those two characters are. I didn't watch B five. I watched DS nine. <laughs> <laughs> that actually same same diff. Um, <laughs> no, no, we were a Star Trek family. Okay, I was I was raised on, on the Next Generation. Okay, we went into DS nine. Like we we didn't we didn't stray from our tech roots. <laughs> but I will say that my dad loves the Honor Harrington books. They're actually there's actually a comic book series out now. They just started uh, the Tales of Honor. Uh, the second issue was just released. Uh, this past week um, and uh, yeah he, he really absolutely adores that they're written by David Weber I totally recommend them um, because my dad has fairly decent taste in books <laughs> I, I, I love the Ivanova character I mean I love B5 and I love DS9 but what was interesting about Ivanova was she was deeply deeply flawed in a, several ways one of them being an inability to uh, express intimacy well and I think when you contrast her with Judzia Dax, Judzia was totally okay with going there, you know, with forming intimate relationships and being comfortable enough in who she was to let other people get close. <coughs> Star Trek family, sorry. <laughs> was there another question? Real quick, what do you see? Wait for the mic. <laughs> where do you see women going forward? like? But once upon a time comes to mind for me. Where do you see the next generation of strong women um, becoming the classics? I'm going to just have to say Imperator Furiosa. Yes. Um, <laughs> who here saw Mad Max Fury Road? Who saw it more than once? Who saw it within the past week? <laughs> I saw it three times in theaters. No, um, one of the things that I love about, um, have you, you should see it. I it's haven't really seen it. Oh, it's so good. It's really good. But one of the things I, I love about um, Charlize's performance as Furiosa is she really, she is a stone cold badass. Like, she is amazing. She's very physical. But she also is allowed to be vulnerable. She has this wonderful heartbreaking moment that's so beautifully shot she's screaming in agony for like her lost you know her lost childhood and just everything just went wrong um and she has this you know great moment of vulnerability and the camera stays on her it focuses on her and i just want to say thank goodness for george miller and and his team for giving us this whole movie that is chock full of so many different kinds of women. There's the you know the the badass biker chicks um, that are all all like gray-haired older ladies, and you don't see them at all in movies. So actually having a whole like a whole group of them, and you're sitting there going, "This is amazing. This should why do we not have more badass biker chicks like these?" Uh, 
So I think going forward, hopefully um, Hollywood has seen how much that resonated, that film resonated with the audiences um, and, and allow, again, allow women, you know, women characters to be people with vulnerabilities um, and, and obvious strengths. Um, but yeah, I think going forward, I, I hope that they, they take more pages from that book. Yeah. I, it's interesting that you bring up Once Upon a Time because it does have fantastically strong female characters but honestly, at the expense of a lot of the male characters, because all yeah. the male characters are weaker and they're under, and they're they're always looking to the women to make the decision, mm -hmm. and it's not it doesn't feel like uh, a partnership even between the ones that are married or the couples that are in love or whatever, yeah. and it's it's getting kind of old for me personally because I'm like you know it doesn't have to be one way or another, and if I think about like a great fictional partnership you know and everything, I think about. Um, Prince Baron and Princess Aura. Those are two incredibly strong personalities that are very, very different, but you see them working together as a couple because they're at odds sometimes, they're together sometimes, but neither of them has the upper hand over the other, truly. Uh, can I say also, because uh, uh, we kind of dropped out of uh, Once Upon a Time this season, Sense8, just go for Sense8. Uh, if if, <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you have a choice to know one of those two, watch Sense8. That, uh, that show is amazing. Um, of the eight main characters, four of them are women. Women are not treated as an afterthought in the show at all. Um, the presence of a strong trans woman is obviously, you know, a big deal to me personally. But all the female characters on that show are just fantastic. Yeah, um, and they do. They are allowed their vulnerabilities as well as absolutely. their strengths. Yeah. Even like the physically strong, even like the character who has the most physical prowess, Sun. She, uh, she absolutely has her own motivations. She is not simply there to kick ass and take names. She. Uh, she has very specific reasons for why she does what she does, and uh, the show works to explore that uh, as fully as possible. I think it's interesting the way you phrased it as, as what's there today for, for the next generation, kind of, Star Trek reference. Um, <laughs> but not non-genre, like we can point to Grace and Frankie is amazing, oh, so so Orange good. is the oh. New Black, but for like the kids that were my age when, when DS9 was on, I don't know. Like we just did a we just did a whole hour on Xena, yes. and Xena, Xena, Gabrielle, Callisto. You've got so many great women in that in that show, and they're all different, right? Xena did it right, but I don't know what's there now, um, and even even more so with the the Star Trek connection. Like Voyager came on a run right when I was at the age that so many girls leave math and science. I credit Bolana Torres for my chaotic theory degree, all right? Because of those characters, because you had Captain Janeway, a scientist, working with Bellana Torres, a scientist, every week, I stayed in the sciences. I didn't realize that until later, but if I hadn't had that encouragement from these characters, who knows what I would have studied. And I, I don't know what's, what's out there. I don't know what, what kids, 13 to 18 or whatever are watching now. Yeah. I don't know if there is anything. Yeah, because the older, because again, a lot of the a lot of the shows these days with a lot of strong female characters are skewed for older audiences. Like even Orphan Black, mm -hmm. which has which has a, yeah. a huge a huge fan she following and rightly so. Amazing. Yeah, Titanic Miscellany is, is fantastic. And finally getting recognition. And finally getting an Emmy nom. Yeah. Woo! Yay. Right. Oh, 
Um, but yeah, they're the, but that show skews much older because of uh, the subject matter and everything. So there isn't for the up and coming you know girls who are leaving the STEM fields. Yeah, there isn't a whole lot out there at the moment. Can I, I think. Uh, it, can I make an opera uh, suggestion? Steven Universe. Steven Universe is great. First of all, it's fantastic for grown-ups, but it's, it's, it's an amazing kids show. Um, Steven Universe. I can see it, the weird looks. It's on Cartoon Network. It, <laughs> uh, the first 35 episodes are uh, on Hulu Plus. If you, uh, they, have, they, have, they have a Cartoon Network channel, and in there you can see the first 35. They're like 11 minutes long each episode and yet they end up being fully realized stories and they're like Basic some of the best for those who don't know and they're like some of the well uh, <laughs> so so the basic plot of Steven Universe is there's this kid named Steven and he has three maternal figures and a dad uh, the three maternal figures are essentially aliens um, they're their gems uh, and uh, and it's about his their wacky adventures trying to save the world and the universe and uh Stuff happens, and some real deep stuff happens, and like heartbreaking stuff happens. Oh. And there's and also a cheeseburger backpack. There's yes, also there's a cheeseburger <laughs> backpack. There's a, it's it's a really again it's one of those shows you really can't define easily. Get, just give it a try. Give they're, it a try. they're short episodes. It's interesting. <laughs> I think one thing in favor of I guess the 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 development of female characters is that a lot of the things that in the past might have been more cartoony, you know the sort of going more of the Christopher Nolan way and less of the Tim Burton way, not that I have anything against Tim Burton, but we're getting a lot more realism and depth to the characters. And um, I think about the show Arrow, um, which it's not really 13-year-old level, but um, but you are getting a lot more depth to, to those characters. And so you have, instead of just someone, you know, the Black Canary and she's going to kick some butt, but she also has these, you know, people that she's taking care of and reasons that she's doing things. And for that matter, I think of the character Felicity, who was supposed to be originally a you know, one, two episode character. And there was just so much demand. People liked her. They liked what was going on with her and wanted to see more of her. And now she's, I mean, kind of a necessary leg to the plot and we've seen in episodes when she's been removed things kind of collapse and so she is a person and she's in a dress and she's very pretty but she also has this emotionality and this brain power going on that makes her an essential part of the plot and I think that's positive looking forward and I hope to see more characters like that one of the the ones on, on TV right now the one that I love that I think shows a really great female, you know, character and role model is I, I love Abby on Sleepy Hollow. You know, Abby Mills. Yeah. Abby and her sister, man, they are awesome. And and heaven help me, I want Abby and Ichabod to get together <laughs> so badly because they are so well suited to each other as people. You know, and it, it's it, they have such a great partnership that I just I sit there like you know. They would probably have a really great marriage at some point if that everything's ever went that way. But I love the fact that they they are complete equals. They both have different strengths than each other, and they they treat each other with respect. And it's it's one of the most the, the best paired male female you know couple working together in television that's on right now. I think. There's. Did you have a yeah, person yeah, over there? Mike's got a mic. Here and then that gentleman there. 
Okay, in regards to what you said about um, in once upon a time, sometimes the female characters seem to get more development at the expense of the male characters. I'm always curious, how would you say we should navigate male and female characters um, in such a way that we're not just reversing the tropes? Because to give you another good example, my favorite show right now, and someone's probably going to throw something at me for liking this, is Z Nation, which, major spoiler alert, episode six, the character of Garnett dies very suddenly and really turns out to be a man who was stuffed in a refrigerator because his death is just part of um, Roberta's story arc as she becomes the leader of the group. So I'm wondering... I mean, do you feel that that's positive, that trope can now be reversed? Or I think the trick is that agency and value to the story are not a zero-sum game. That you don't have to give one to, to, to one character at the expense of the other characters. It doesn't work that way. You can actually have, have characters who are equals and who are, who are of equal value to the story. And it does, you don't have to lose anything in the process. Aren't we all of equal value here right now? Yeah. Yeah. Theoretically. And reliance on that trope, that kind of trope, that's a laziness there. It's mm -hmm. you know, whether it is a man getting fridged or a woman, it's I cannot come up with any other motivation and backstory for this person. So oh, let's kill somebody. Or Can we talk about the trope of fridging in case anyone doesn't know about that? Yes. Yes. Does anyone yeah. not know? Raise your hand. Okay. Fridging me. So fridge. Uh, want me to want me to give the, the fridge yeah. uh, expo? Okay. So uh, there is there is a was it a Green Lantern? Green Lantern, Green Lantern comic. Uh, Green Lantern's love interest was killed and stuffed into a refrigerator for the furtherment of his personal man pain. Um, which, which that was that became the name of the trope, woman in the refrigerator. And if you if you look back on, I want to say a good 75, 80 percent of of female character deaths in movies, it's for it's for fridging purposes. Um, notable yeah. recent example would be Frigga in uh, in the Thor: The Dark World, um, where she arguably could have totally killed Malekith, but we had to kill her so that Thor and Loki would kind of get along. Um, and it is it is a common, really irritating trope. And again, it, you yeah, don't. Started it, if I remember. Yeah, guess someone to think. Yeah, yeah, she did coin the term. Yeah, she it, did coin the term. She had a website. Could argue that Danny Pink is fridged too. Yeah, Danny Pink is fridged. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because I think Frigga was their mother. Though. Yeah, but still, it's still it's a female. Yeah, it's, it's a similar it's, concept. A female it's the concept of someone dying to the furtherment of someone else's character. Mm. And ninety nine percent of the time, it's a woman. Yeah. 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 Mm. Whoa. Yeah. We might have to backtrack a little bit, <laughs> but um, uh, femininity is one of those things that it's a social construct. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to be feminine to be considered a strong female character. And Imperiosa clearly being a favorite. Yeah. And I'm sort of wondering what your comments are as far as leaving that behind in favor of, you know, sort of stripping the character down to actions and feelings rather than a perceived, you know, social construct. You know, one of my favorite characters was Carter from Stargate SG-1. She was a blonde, but she was incredibly smart. They didn't sex her up. They didn't, you know, she was in uniform. So, what would your comments about? Oh, goodness. Um, I'm going to, uh, I, I was, we were sitting here and I was thinking Emma Peel 
uh, from from the Avengers, not the not those Avengers, the other ones, um, the one played by Diana Rigg. Yes. Um, Emma Peel. Emma Peel is is a fantastic example of of a character who can use her femininity and and is perfectly comfortable with with that aspect of her personality, and it doesn't take away from her agency. It doesn't really take away anything from her. Um, as far as um, where femininity stands, for example, Agent Carter um, wears fantastic red lipstick and is a kick-ass woman, and she is perfectly comfortable in her heels and her dresses, um, and also equally comfortable in combat boots and a jumpsuit. Um, you can have per, you can have feminine care, you know, really feminine expressing characters and still be incredibly strong. Um, there is there is again not a zero sums game. Like there is different examples. Um, I just love Imperative Furiosa because she's amazing. I think about Tashi R. Yeah. During this conversation and specifically that dreaded episode, The Naked Now, oh. um, because. No, and the, because the problem, right, is when you need that, that societal construct of femininity to feel like a woman. And that's what she's doing. She breaks into Troy's closet and puts on all these soft, flowy clothes and has this speech about she never had this growing up, and so she doesn't really understand her femininity. And, like, what? No. The, because the, the soft, flowy clothes and the pink colors, that's not the problem. The problem is that being the only option. Uh, one of the core assertions of misogyny is that masculine is inherently superior to masculinity is inherently superior to femininity, and it, the thing is, it doesn't matter whether you believe that's, that those are inherent traits or a social construct. Personally, I think there's probably a little bit of, of both. Misogyny certainly doesn't care; it holds the same uh, either way. And I think part of the uh, of uh, what happens with with female characters is that. Because there, there is a, a eternalized thing a lot of us have that femininity is somehow lesser, inherently lesser, and that the only way for a, for a woman to have strength is to be masculine. And I, I think that's one of the things that, uh, that hopefully we can start getting away from in fiction. I think it's important that we see both, that both of those are represented because, you know, as you said, regardless of whether it, you know, how much of it is a construct and how much of it is inborn. There are women who definitely, for whatever reason, do identify more with the, the feminine aspect of things, and then women who identify less. I think if we focus on the ones who can kick ass while wearing lipstick and make that sort of our model of being pretty and also tough, then that sort of neglects the people who, you know, the side of things where we're just tough, don't care about putting on lipstick, um, but never really get any attention because they're not doing both. Um, and on the other hand, if we act like the masculinity is you know, preferable to femininity in any way, and to be strong, you have to put that feminine side aside, that also is limiting on the other end of things. So I think it's important to have representations of both with equal, you know, equally strong. Well, and this also kind of goes to that whole idea of having the, the well-rounded female character because most women are not all of one thing all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, when I'm writing, I'm in my sweatpants and, you know, or my pajamas. <laughs> if I didn't have to go somewhere, you know, with my hair up and I look a mess and my husband's just like, oh. 
you know, and, and I'll be walking and he's like, man, you don't even walk like a girl. And I'm like, I'm not in the mood to walk like a girl, man. <laughs> I walk like a girl because you know? I am a girl. You know? and, and then, you know, he's, and then he's like, you know, let's go out to dinner. And I'm like, am I in the mood to go out to dinner? Yes, I'm in the mood to go out to dinner. And suddenly I'll walk down and, and he'll like, and she's wearing a ball gown. What happened? You know? And I'm like, he's like, like two minutes ago, there was nothing girly, and now you're all girly. And I'm like, that's because I'm a woman, and I'm allowed to flip flop like that. But no, but it, but it's true. It's like, there's not, there's, I don't know any woman that's 100% feminine all the time. Every choice is valid. And I don't know any woman that's 100% non-feminine all the time. You know, it's a sliding scale depending on our mood, depending on our circumstances, depending on if we're a, on a date versus if we're at work versus if we're home by ourselves bathing the dog, you know? <laughs> and so I think part of the problem is you're seeing, you're seeing just one aspect of a character oftentimes in fiction instead of getting the whole picture of the person and how, you know, it's kind of like, those old commercials that that um, that a lot of women loved uh, for the suits that you know the what a difference a day makes and you'd see the guy in his day job and you see the guy in this the suit for the evening you know wear kind of thing, and there was that understanding that there this is both the same guy and it's, unfortunately we get oftentimes only see one aspect of the female so it's like if she suddenly puts on lipstick, it's like, oh, well, where did that come from? Well, it's not that it came from somewhere, it's that now is an appropriate time to wear lipstick and she's in the mood to do purse. so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it came from her purse. I love that. <laughs> well spoken. So I, I, think, I think that's part of the problem is we need to see, we need to be able to allow our characters to not just be one, on one spot on the female femininity spectrum and have to stay there the entire story. Mm -hmm. You know, can I say what I'm hearing yeah. is that people just need to be more well-rounded, yes. or characters yeah. need to be flushed out because you can't say, "Oh, now because she's female, now I must do this perfect balance of feminine and masculine, and I'm going to measure that out mm -hmm. because we're all so different." I mean, as people, just as people, and sometimes you're feeling underdeveloped in different parts of your personality, right? So you shouldn't have to write a character that's not flawed yeah. because she's having a rough time dealing with the fact that she needs to be um, maybe stronger <laughs> and <laughs> you know I guess I didn't think that went all the way through yeah <laughs> so I train of thought just sort of took a slight turn and then went downhill it's cool. yeah yeah I need food. <laughs> I, got a, I got a Nutrigrain bar. So good. <laughs> like, female characters, because for example, the Avengers, the modern Avengers, yeah. we didn't have Natasha Romanoff. They'd be nothing but brutes. Yeah. The thing I like about Natasha is she can be strong, but as I saw in the latest movie, she can be vulnerable in terms of her love for Bruce Banner. I, I like that. Also, I like Hope Van Dyne, too. I think she could carry her own without Scott Lang, but she shows that she helps Scott Lang to be better also. And one more character. She's the chief, I don't know what her name is, but she uh, runs the Avengers. Maria Hill. Maria Hill. So, um, yeah, where do I even, where do I even start from there? So, Two movies and no wasp. What the hell? Um, you know, there are fantastic examples of very interesting characters that uh, writers have made interesting decisions with them. Um, one of the things I will say about Hope um, is that I am so tired of the perfectly capable and competent, in fact, more capable and competent character having to step to the side so that the, the schlubbier dude can do it. 
um, because that is that is what happened in in Ant Man when Hope could easily have done everything Scott did, probably backwards and in heels, um, but she couldn't do it because reasons. Um, because Daddy didn't feel comfortable with having her out and possibly dying, because that that would have made him unhappy. Um, I mean, even in the Lego Movie, uh, Wildstar um, was Wild another Wildstar. Wild Sorry, it's been a long day. <laughs> Wildstar, you see? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, Wildstar. Wildstar was easily could easily have done everything, and uh, everything would have still been awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but no, for awesome reasons was bad. But yeah, but for reasons uh, she was unable to unable to do she it. She was not the chosen one because she was not the chosen one because the chosen one is always a guy, a bumbling guy, a bumbling guy because that's the every man that guys can identify with. Well, I think it's when, when you start dealing with media properties that also have uh, have a marketing have a like a toy component, because then you see like the sort of the heavy gendering of the marketing that happens. Perfect example is Avengers: Age of Ultron, and the toy with the Quinjet and the motorcycle that comes out in this in the movie. If you'll recall, uh, Cap loses his shield. Uh, Black Widow gets on the motorcycle, drives the motorcycle off of an airplane, and goes out to retrieve his shield and and and, and get into the fight. Uh, in the toy packaging, Captain America is on the motorcycle. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. They took Black Widow like out of her own scene. Yeah. 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 It's very hard to find that would Black piss Widow me off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> merchandise is very hard to come by. Yeah. Compared to the other characters, absolutely. Yeah, I saw several Avenger toy box sets, and it's always Ultron, Thor, Cap, Hawkeye. Where's Black Widow? Never in there. They'll put the Ultron in. I have a hard time finding leather pants that small. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's everything though. It's not just Avengers. Can we talk about Funko Pop for a second? The the next generation set. There's random Klingon and Locutus, but no Doctor Crusher. Yeah. Yeah. Right? WTF? Funko I just Pop. That set. And I was like, where is Doctor Crusher? And I'm at my local store. And I couldn't believe it. She wasn't even in there. Was right? So was that so weird? But there was like an extra Klingon. Yeah. yeah. Why is there an extra Klingon? And Picard is it for? I know there's two Picards if and there's extra Klingon. If anyone plays Clicks, yeah. uh, they did a set for the Batman 66 TV show. Uh, they had Bruce Wayne, uh, Dick Grayson, Batman, Robin, Batman and Robin together. Uh, they had a number of villains, including, including Bookworm. With it, who had a, who had his bookcase what? as a weapon? <laughs> guess, they guess what figure they didn't have? There's no background. Oh, they, did, no, they did both. They did both Julie Newmar and uh, Eartha Kid Catwoman. They did it right there, but uh, no background. But no, no background. No. Also, the TNG Pez set. Sometimes, depending on the set, you get sometimes instead of Doctor Crusher, you just get the Enterprise. <gasps> <laughs> No, well, that's hateful. <laughs> I think it's the same guy who had me killed. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Seriously. Yeah. It's. it's I mean, terrible. she was there. Yeah. Hey, when you start seeing this stuff, you can't not see it anymore. That's yeah. the. That's the hell of it. So there's a really uh, dark and ugly part of this that you guys might have watched. That you've heard this show. I don't know. It's on HBO. <laughs> this, uh, this rather corpulent fellow writes it, and it has done some pretty awful things to people this last season. Does everyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I understand it's a musical chair. It's a musical chair. Yeah. Oh, Game of Thrones. 
So um, the, the panel on exactly that in Game of Thrones is happening right there, well, right now. Just FYI. Oh, he has called out and everything. Anyway, he's saying Dax. What? So, how do you feel about the the sort of vaguely sociopathic message that kind of permeates Game of Thrones? To not, and it isn't just for the male characters. It actually sort of falls out in the female characters as well. How do you how do you feel that that does or does not positively address uh, this issue? I st I actually like rage quit the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, no. It wasn't even rage quit as much as it was meh quit. Uh, I just couldn't summon up the will to go on. Mm. Um, I think I th I think it's not just that show. A lot of shows really love torturing their female characters, and again, I think I'll end. And you're sitting there going, why? Um, what what function does this serve to the narrative? Um, you know, uh, especially the over overuse of sexual assault in a lot of a lot of shows, not just Game of Thrones, um, but it is you know the threat of sexual assault, the actual like it it it's Outlander. everywhere. Outlander. Yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, and and you're sitting there going, what does this bring to the narrative? Is this just yeah? Are you even going to talk about this later? Are you even mm -hmm. going to address the emotional fallout from this? I mean, even Xena with you know with Dayhawk and Gabrielle's emotional fallout after the after the baby issue. You know, she still has some 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 damage and some you know some PTSD from that. Um, but in a lot of shows, you know, we're gonna just throw this in there just as shock value, just to give motivations yeah. to the other characters to rescue you. Um, but the, you know, storytelling shorthand without actually addressing how damaging it is, how that affects everyone. Uh, it's it's a terrible thing. In a lot of these fictional worlds. Uh, PTSD and sexual trauma don't seem to actually exist. If, I mean, if you watch Breaking Bad, um, that show is pretty much 90% about how much PTSD will screw up your life. From top, almost from top to bottom. And I think a lot of other uh, um, properties um, and like shows and even movies could really take a lesson from that just about how much events really do affect characters. I like a lot of people diss on Iron Man 3. I thought Iron Man 3 was really good in that it, it, it dealt with the fact that Tony was, was, had pretty severe uh, PTSD after the Battle of New York, which makes sense because he's yeah. the one regular human who was put in the most danger because he has the suit. Mm -hmm. The other regular humans don't do as, as dangerous stuff as he does. He flew in outer space with yeah. 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 Um, to, to have an interesting classic example would be uh, Red Sonja. Um, so Red Sonja, you know, basically her her primary motivator was the fact that um, while uh, you know Queen Gedron uh, had the hots for her and Red Sonja didn't reciprocate, uh, therefore uh, sexual assault was necessary. Um, and you know while they while they give that as her primary motivator, they don't necessarily address it as much later on in the movie. Um, in fact, they don't talk about it at all. They go through like this happened to her and now she's a badass warrior and we're gonna just take that as a given. We don't deal. With with the emotional fallout of that, we don't, you know, we don't even address, like, when she's interacting with Arnold Schwarzenegger's not Conan, um, <laughs> you know, they don't even, they don't even bring up the possible issues she might have with, with male characters. It just, you know, they just kind of throw that in there and then just, let's just roll the movie, sword and sorcery, let's just have this, have this out and not talk about it. Well, as what? Peter David pointed out, talking about the character, this is a woman who is <laughs> raped. Yeah. And then said, no man will ever have me again unless he can beat me in combat. 
How messed up is that? That is messed up. I, I want to say something about fantasy in general because I have to admit that I don't watch Game of Thrones or Outlander. Um, and not to make any kind of statement, there's just too much TV. But <laughs> I, there, there you hear so often people defending this kind of trope in especially fantasy worlds with historical accuracy. The history of what? Westeros? <laughs> but like, and you're, you're, okay, you want to base it on medieval Europe. You know what? There were non-white people in medieval Europe. There is that. You know, first of all. And you take it into a fantasy world. Based on does not mean exact. You're telling me you can imagine dragons and mm. magic and sorcery and that's no problem, but you draw the line at equality? My, my, <laughs> my issue with, with what they've been doing with Game of Thrones is it's so commonplace that the characters accept it as, as being and it's the danger is desensitizing people to it, you know. And it, I think it's, I think it's a subject that we shouldn't really be, you know, keep bringing up over and over and over again. Especially, you know, if we're not going to, to treat it as something, you know, incredibly serious and as, you know, so, an outlier of human behavior. You know, the fact that they all accept it as normal and this is what's going to happen, is is, it's, it's just nasty, you know. And it leaves a really bad taste in your mouth and. It makes it difficult to, to enjoy the rest of the show. I mean, and let's, and it's, it's a weird kind of dichotomy because I would have no problems, you know, seeing the, the female captives tortured like they torture the men, you know, cut off their hands, rip off their fingernails or whatever, fine. You know, but it's, there's this weird, oh, we shouldn't hit the girls, but we'll rape them. Yeah. And it's like, how about you beat the crap out of them instead and, you know, give them a little dignity? You know, it's just, I don't know, you know, but it's so, to me, I think it's, I think it's a very slippery slope because I think it sends a, a bad message of making this seem like a normal behavior because the characters in this world expect it to be normal and eventually enough people who don't have a problem telling reality from fantasy are going to think it's normal in this world. Uh, that lady, and then sadly, due time, you, and then you, and then we'll have to wrap up. Yeah, I guess based on um, a lot of the, the things that you guys have been addressing, uh, one of my favorite characters is Dana Scully from The X Files. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Based on that, she looks girly, and then they show scenes of her where she's hanging out and writing, and she's just in her pajamas, and her hair is up, and she's relaxed, and she's confident in what she is. Um, but I think. Uh, one of the unfortunate things uh, about Dana Scully is sometimes in the writing that Mulder always has to go save her in the early seasons. That made me so mad, but it sort of touches on a thing where she's mentally strong. She's not a character that's physically strong, but she has a lot of will, she has a lot of knowledge and intelligence, and being in a men's world, um, she still exudes her femininity even in a, in a, in a long suit, in her kitten heels. She still shows how women can be strong and passionate about the things that um, make them wake up every day or wonder why they're doing things. Um, but I think Dana Scully is definitely um, still an icon with um, being so smart with science and pursuing that and like Beverly Crusher, um, you know, it's just such... I have red hair too under this. <laughs> I get it. I think the show learned its lesson because later on, Data mostly rescues uh, uh, yeah. Mulder because yeah. frankly, Mulder's a dum dum. Yeah. And she's, uh, <laughs> but there, 
I mean, jumping really quickly back to the, the STEM fields thing that I mentioned earlier, there is a legitimate thing that in more women going into the sciences in like the mid to late 90s and they call it the Scully effect. Um, That's why representation is important. <laughs> the people who wrote the computer programs to get the lunar module mm -hmm. to the moon and back were women secretaries. Yep. But when programming became important, men took over. Mm -hmm. The astronauts specifically wanted the woman who did the calculations by hand to say, yes, your uh, orbits are good. Yep. That was yep. in the 60s. There is an amazing photograph of her next to all of the code she wrote that's printed out, and it comes up to her neck. Seriously, Google this. It's amazing. Earlier you touched on what your favorite uh, heroines are, so my question is, do you have any favorite villains that are considered, like, well-written? So what makes a good female villain, or their favorite female villain? Uh, favorite or at least well-written. I mean, something with depth. Ah, uh, something with depth. Oh. Uh, I'm going to come sit out in the audience. <laughs> I would say my guilty pleasure in this regard, because I, I think a lot of times she's not written very well, is Regina from Once Upon a Time. Yes. Uh, because frankly, the eviler she gets, the hotter she gets. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think as far as female characters, as far as like women villains that I really uh, enjoy, I always liked Catwoman. I thought as far as a character when written well, has a very strong sense of her own agency, knows exactly what she wants. Her entire like sort of ethical code uh, is based on her own motivations and is not is not for the benefit of, of anyone she might be in a relationship with. I, that's kind of a offhand. And like most and like most people who would you consider villains, she doesn't think of herself as a villain. Most villain and most villains of course don't. And I think that she uh, the worst thing you can say about it is because she kind of uh, goes with the ethics of convenience, frequently. And uh, the thing is, female characters are often not allowed that. And so it's, it's nice to see it in, in one life. I'm going to piggyback on you. <laughs> Especially Michelle Pfeiffer's version. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really like that a lot. Because really, there are very few people as sexy as Michelle Pfeiffer. And she was really frightening how her purpose was so strong. And she just happened to be beautiful, mm -hmm. but she wow. Oh, that the end, the last scene with her um, when she rebuffs uh, uh, Bruce Wayne's uh, advances. Says I, I, I can't have that life. That's not the life. I, that's not the life I want. So scratch, go kiss guy with with taste. Ah, <laughs> oh, goodness, there are so many uh, fantastic villains out there that I love. Like I love Rachel Duncan in the early Orphan Black. Oh, I, she was so again again she's so well written and so chilling. Um, because my favorite kind of villain is I love the the very like very like tightly wound like very 
proper prim villain. I also love scary computers like GLaDOS in the Portal games. Um, one of my life goals is to provide a voice for a scary computer. Um, I, I do that at my day job. I do, I do, I do scary computer voice at people. Um, again, I, I just I love I love those very icy, cold, calculating yeah. villains. Like I love the villains that are planning three steps ahead for a game you're not yeah. even playing yeah. yet. Yeah. And it's yeah, that's one of the reasons I kind of enjoyed uh, Rachel because she was she was playing a game that no one else was on yet. This is hard. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really want to like Missy, uh, Doctor oh, Who. Yeah, yeah. I I want to because evil Mary Poppins is amazing. <laughs> but I I'm not sure I can yet. So um, I guess childhood favorite i'm gonna say ursula yes like not not once upon a time ursula ursula yeah and um she she's independent she couldn't care less what anybody else thinks of her um and you know what she's a big girl and she's totally cool with that and she is comfortable you can tell that she is comfortable in her own skin and even though she was a villain you know, eight-year-old me totally identified with, with Ursula. Yeah, part of me wanted well, to be Well, her motives are no more up. selfish than Ariel's. So I thought that's yeah. worth mentioning, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I love Miss Scarlet from Clue. <coughs> yes. She, yep. She's so my long. hero, man. I, I, I don't know why. I just love her. I think she's so awesome, and she's very unapologetic for who she is and what she does, you know, which is great. And the other one that I come back to is, uh, is I love I love Sigourney Weaver in almost everything she does. But I thought she made a great villain in Working Girl. She's yes, yeah. you're just like, oh, you Definitely. didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I thought she she brings a lot of uh, a lot of fun and a lot of integrity to everything she does. But her her villain in Working Girl, I would I was just like, oh. Yeah, I wanted to slap her. I thought she was a decent villain in Paul, even which is a pretty was a pretty slight role. Even then, she was fantastic. Is the overseer at the end of uh, Cabin in the Woods? Yeah. Oh, oh goodness, Cabin in the Woods. Okay. Well, I would see. I was about to say Catwoman um, because she's for the reasons she's got agency. She has her own motives. She has her own missions, and when she happens to serve good, it's not because she's all oh I've suddenly completely reversed myself and decided I want to accomplish something positive. It's because within her own motives and mission, she can also do this other thing that will generally prevent her plan from getting screwed up. And there's so many different interpretations of her. I love the Michelle Pfeiffer version. I loved Anne Hathaway's Catwoman, Catwoman mm -hmm. in... Well, she's also one of the female characters who's gotten very, generally pretty decent treatment in other media outlets. In fact, oftentimes better than the treatment she's got in comics. Yeah. And, and that, that's very rare as well. And you know, don't, don't watch the Disney version but the witch in Into the Woods, the real Into the Woods with Bernadette Peters that you can get on DVD, that is an amazing villain. That said, now I say Ursula. <laughs> yeah, and that's, it's like now that you broke the Disney seal, I had to be like Maleficent, dude, Mistress of All Evil. Just yeah. carry on. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the ladies of classic sci-fi heroes. <laughs> This panel was already one of my Dragon Con highlights every year, something that I always look forward to. Just having this conversation with the friends I've made over the years in a room full of people that 
really care about it and have such great insight. But this year was just so extra special and amazing to have Terry Farrell there. And she is so down to earth and so gracious. It was a really wonderful time. And it was great sharing this with you today, but it is just one of the many things being discussed on the Trek FM network recently. So here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Not inner space. Interphase. Inner space is the that's the one where they shrink down and they like go and like fight viruses. First movie I ever saw letterboxed. Huh. I was like, why are there black bars in the top and bottom of the screen? This movie is garbage. Earl Grey. Daddy, do pets have a Nexus 2? <laughs> the Pexus. Kirk had a, a dog in the Nexus 2, didn't he? Oh, uh, Butler. Butler. Butler is now <laughs> Shadow. So we have the adventures homeward bound of Butler, Porthos, and Spot. Will they make it back to their owners in Montana? The Orb. Well, apparently, and did you find this interesting, Matthew? Apparently, the Navark reports directly to the prophets. Which is awkward, because they don't always show up for meetings, so... Right. Yeah. Plus, you never know what time the meeting is really going to be, right? That is true. It could have been yesterday, and you might have missed it. The Ready Room. Do you think this episode would have been so popular and remain a fan favorite if the Enterprise had been overrun with zebra mussels? <laughs> To the journey! It's fake intimacy. Thank you! It is them trying to say, Chakotay knows Janeway so well that just by fiddling her comm badge, he knows the crap's gonna hit the fan. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. Weird is relative when you're talking about a book about a guy who taxidermies his mother, so... The 602 Club. I think you've uh, hit something here, and I've never thought of it this way, but the true savior of the galaxy, it's not Obi-Wan, it's not Luke Skywalker, it's Aunt Beru. Literary Treks. Reagan's a great guy to bring up because his dad was this raging drunk, mm. and, uh, you know, he had a sort of drag him in on the, off the porch at night because he'd come home, like, falling down drunk, and, you know, you think of... And here he was, this kind of great man for the country at the time, uh, but he came from a place that was really kind of dark, but also very relatable. Women at Warp. There's always a touchstone, and this was as close to a touchstone as they ever got with Pulaski. Plus she banged Riker's dad. <laughs> oh, Andy. I'm sorry, I just think it's so funny. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. I also want to remind you about the Trek FM Patreon. Trek FM is a listener-supported network, and you can help us keep the Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Every little bit helps keep Women at Warp and the other Trek FM shows on the air. I'm Sue, and you can find more from me in the forms of podcasts and blogs over at AnomalyPodcast.com, and you can connect with Women at Warp on Facebook, Twitter, or by emailing us at crew at womenatwarp.com. Thanks for listening!